0: As I stepped outside my door this morning, I looked up and down my street and I wanted to yell to them, Come awake! Come awake! He's risen from the grave! But there was no one to say it to. Is that what your street looked like this morning? It's rather startling, don't you think? There was a time when, on Easter Sunday at least, you could count on the masses of people going to church it just seems like today it's perhaps less stressful for them just to sleep in and be distracted by other diversions. Like the uh, oblivious soldiers at the foot of the cross who thought it was a good day for online gambling and feasting on Easter souvenirs. Chocolate-covered rabbits and Easter eggs or, I guess as they're politically correctly called now, Um, springtime spheres. (laughs) That way we keep the vegans happy and the non-religious happy. It was to that very same kind of crowd that Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I would add on to that today, and they don't want to know but whether you show up at church this morning or not the empty tomb of jesus christ demands a decision would you open up your bibles this morning please to matthew chapter 27 what to do with jesus death burial and resurrection you can run but you can't hide from the reality of god and his works because revelation forces hiddenness wide open We can speculate, but God knows every motive. I want to take you on a journey this morning, a familiar journey to most of you, but one that we need to take at this time of the year. I want to take you to the tomb of Jesus Christ. You will see yourself there. God's truth is always like a a mirror, like looking into a mirror. And decisions always have to be made when you're confronted with the truth of God. The tomb of Jesus Christ is a place of decision just as the cross is a place of decision. You can't avoid decision. That in itself is a decision. And the decision is for faith or no faith. But frankly, as you work your way through the Easter story, you realize that the harder decision is no faith. It's always complicated to hide truth, to fight it. In fact, following Jesus as a A believer, being a Christian is really about being a realist, I think. It's about seeing truth as it truly is instead of working so hard to dispose of it. So we'll visit the tomb. We'll track the decisions that are made there by various people. We'll visit our own roots. We'll visit our own hope. And perhaps the rehearsal of your own decision made so many years ago. But maybe for some, that decision has yet to be made in the right way. Maybe today you'll see the tomb with fresh eyes, with a fresh heart, with an open mind, a new mind to the things of God. Our Father, the richness of this event is impossible for the human mind and tongue to confess appropriately. You have granted us your word, Father, and would you please cause your servant to stick close to it? Because there you have shared with us the splendor of your grace, displayed for all to see. It's the most amazing thing, Father, that you would love us this much, not because we deserve it, not because of any works that we have done or ever will do. For no other reason than because you are a gracious God who grants your love to those who don't deserve it. You offer your salvation to those who could never earn it, could never find it. Because no one believes. No one understands. No one seeks after God. But by your grace, Father, you have drawn countless multitudes of people to the truth. So, Father, I would ask this morning that you would be the tour guide because you are best at it. By your spirit, would you gather us around yourself and share with us all over again that picture of the tomb and the event that transpired there that has changed history has changed our lives forever. I pray, Father, that you would be pleased to grip our hearts, lift us up all over again with a rapt attention, and and inspire us, Father, with your greatness, please. Because you are great and worthy of our praise, worthy of our attention and adoration. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So on our journey to the tomb, we must stop by quickly the cross because it starts at the cross where Jesus was crucified to death, was put on the cross because of your sins and my sins and died for us. Not because of anything he had ever done, but because of our sins. He went to the cross, which is normally, by the way, You think about a death as the end of the story, but it was just the beginning. Either the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning, however artfully you want to think of it. But Jesus went to the cross and died and was buried. And we pick up the story immediately following the crucifixion in Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. He will be our... Our first character that we meet on our tour, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Joseph of Arimathea had become a disciple, it says. We meet him first. A disciple, by the way, who decides to do what a disciple is. There are a lot of legends about Joseph of Arimathea, if you've ever studied him at all. In fact, all four Gospels mention this man, although he only appears this one time fundamentally. As legend goes, he was sent by Philip to England in A.D. 61. There he took with him the chalice of the Last Supper. And in that chalice, it is said, he took with him the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, so began the legend of the Holy Grail and the search for the Holy Grail, King Arthur's fame. There are other legends in the uh, British Isles about Eric Joseph of Arimathea, but none of them can can be proven with any accuracy of course but this one can this joseph of arimathea a disciple of jesus jesus was abandoned alone no human plan to deal with the tragedy that had transpired all presently seemed lost god seemed dead Joseph, however, had become a disciple. By the way, the wording here is he had been discipled to Jesus by God. God had brought him. And he came out on the side of a very unpopular belief, an outcast. As it says in the Mark text, with boldness and courage, Joseph of Arimathea stepped forward. A disciple who does what a disciple is. He risked Pilate's disapproval going to him. He gave up his position, no doubt, in the Sanhedrin. He put his life on the line. Joseph made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Making Jesus more important than position, power, possessions. That's what disciples do. He risked his resources for one in need when it didn't look promising to do so. He used his wealth to make something happen that was absolutely necessary in the Jesus mission. Otherwise, Jesus would have been left on the cross to to rot there, which of course sometimes happened. The dogs would drag the bodies off the crosses. Interestingly... When you think about it, Joseph of Arimathea was really God's secret service man. Nobody could have seen this coming, except the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, verse 9, it says there that the Messiah will be assigned a grave with a rich man in his death. Before the foundation of the world, Joseph of Arimathea was planned by God to serve the Messiah in this way. What an encouragement it is to any of us when it seems like everything's gone, everyone's gone, we're totally abandoned. Can God help me? Will God help me? Yeah, he is a Joseph of Arimathea. Someone who will just come onto the stage of your life, take care of a need and the mission that God has for you, and then maybe move off the scene. Never again to be heard of again. Joseph of Arimathea. You know what I like about this story? A rich man can become a disciple. You know, so often in the scriptures, of course, we read how hard it is for a rich person to come into the kingdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, and he followed Jesus Christ with all of his heart. His decision at the tomb was to act on his discipleship. And by the way, that's what Jesus Christ has commissioned the church to be and to make and to go and find, go and make disciples, people like Joseph of Arimathea. Well, in our tour, we leave Joseph of Arimathea and we come to um, another group who presented themselves to Pilate. We come to the senior religious leaders in the Sirius. The next day, it says in verse 62, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Pilate was very popular in that day. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again, so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the tomb and posting the guard. It's not really difficult to to ferret out the um, emphasis of this section. The word secure shows up three times. The uh, serious senior religious leaders of the time had an agenda. And that agenda was the uh, security of their shaky beliefs and their shaky system. As a side note, I think it's important for us to consider how much faith we should put in something that requires our own protection or that we have to prop it up to make sure that it retains its strength. But here you have the, uh, the desperate, the religious leaders of the day. And I, I want to track some of their desperate decisions that they made at the tomb that day. Decisions, by the way, that are still being made by the masses of people. Oh, they wear different uniforms and they have different professions, but they have the same character. They have the same heart. They're still at home watching TV this morning, probably. The first is this. It says the day after preparation. The day after the preparation day. The preparation day was Friday. That would mean that this was Saturday. Does Saturday ring any special significance to you? Saturday's the Sabbath day. Now, now get this. You have the senior religious leaders of Palestine. The head honchos of the then religion. The representatives of all that was supposed to be right and holy. Choosing on the Sabbath day, instead of going to the temple to worship God, visiting a pagan parliament to try and thwart the purposes of God. Is there something wrong with this scene? There's something desperately ludicrous about this scene. Uh, The same group of people who had criticized Jesus and his disciples for how they were managing the Sabbath are now in every possible way breaking what they claim to be their most sacred law out of irrational desperation, surrendering their own religious convictions and their system, which they had so smugly accused Jesus of damaging. They represent a passion of convenience. As long as the system is self-serving, they're very passionate about it. I notice something else they do here. They call Pilate, it says in your text, Sir, but that translation could really be Lord. How ironic. That they would go to a pagan government official and use an address that should be reserved only for the one who is in the tomb. It's the same shameful address that the German church so many years ago used of Mein Fuhrer, Hitler, my Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Imagine the religious leaders giving the handle of Lord to Pilate. So concerned were they about the potential sting operation of the disciples that they came up with their own con job. He asked Pilate if they could secure the tomb with a guard and a seal. This also has been prophesied in Scripture as likely to happen throughout the history of time. In Psalm 2.2, it says, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And there they were, conspiring together against the Lord. Conspiring against the truth. Irrationally. What's rather fascinating is that they took Jesus' words, it would seem, more literally than his own disciples did. They were concerned about it. By the way, I I want to point out to you that this con job is what what the religious still do on their holy days all throughout our world. Uh, Mark this down well. Wherever... Anywhere, a religious person stands before a group of people and denies that Jesus Christ is Lord of glory, divine God, creator of the universe, they grant to their people a con job. And so it is and so it was. And so you have the senior religious leaders conning the people. And in the most reckless of ways, they addressed Jesus as that deceiver. Verse 63, a identification reserved for Satan himself. Satan is the deceiver. The senior religious leaders of the time called Jesus the deceiver. Just doing what came came natural to them what they had become accustomed to as they propped up their own failing religion. And so I find the interaction with Pilate rather fascinating because Pilate, I think, better translated, rather than say take a guard, it can be translated, you have a guard. You guys, you, you, guys, you religious leaders, you already have temple guards. Go use your guards. You have a guard. Go ahead, Pilate says. And, and then I think he says this. It says in the text that, that that's, uh, um, go make the tomb as secure as you know how, and I really think that, that Pilate was being very sarcastic and oozing with sarcasm, basically saying, if you can. I, I think what was rolling around in his own mind was the, the, uh, the, the message that his own wife had given to him about, this man Jesus makes me nervous. This this man he seems like something more, and I think Pilate was thinking the very same thing as he had no doubt received reports that had come back to him from the crucifixion and all that had happened and the, the change of the, the darkness of the sky and the earthquake and all that was going on in the atmosphere. And I think Pilate sends these religious leaders stand in front of him and say, we, we want to go and secure the tomb. He's like, okay, you have your guards and go secure the tomb if you think you can. And so they get a few wax candles and, put some wax around the rock. We're going to secure the truth. We're going to box it in. And you have here the most an alliance of the most powerful military and political and religious power system of the day conspiring to prevent the truth. Think about it for a moment. How can you conspire? How can you prevent the truth? The truth bursts forth. In fact, all the power of, of earth and hell is arrayed against this moment. The anticipation as the story goes on. I mean, I know we've read the story, we've read the end of the story, so we're not in suspense. But the story is meant to be in suspense. We're, we're listening and we're... You mean, you mean they're gonna block, they're gonna thwart the plans of Almighty God with a few candles? They're gonna seal up the tomb? Wow! That's really amazing. And all of earth and all of hell is arrayed against the Lord of glory. Who a few verses later is going to stand before his disciples and say all authority. In heaven and in earth is mine. Jesus' death wasn't enough. They tried to prevent his resurrection as well. And by the way, I, I think as you think about this a little bit, you'll realize that this plot really makes the resurrection account even more sure. They would have been better just to ignore it. Just to hope it all went away. Just to hope nothing ever became of it and everybody forgot about it. But by putting, by, by putting all of this attention on the, sealed to, on the tomb and sealing it and all of that, they were taking away all the possible speculation that could have been floated out there in the future. I mean, Pilate could stand before them and say, hey, you guys secured the tomb. It's, I mean, what, what can we do? As um, John Chrysostom said, that a preacher in Constantinople in the third century, fourth century, he writes this, the disciples barely owned Jesus when he was alive. How likely would they create a fantasy and own a dead Lord. He's absolutely right. I mean, think about it. They were not using their their heads at all. I I mean, why in the world would these disciples, who were quite fearful already after the crucifixion, who really weren't sure that uh, things were going to pan out, why would they go and steal a dead Jesus and claim that He has risen from the grave and then potentially risk their own martyrdom? Who in the world would do such a thing? but God uses the deceitfulness and plots of wicked people to his own advantage. Truth is not easily buried. Truth always trumps deception. Hiddenness gives way to resurrection. And so these represent, these religious leaders represent those who make a decision at the tomb of Christ for human engineered security over truth. You know lots of people like that. In fact, um, there may be some people like that in here this morning. You've been bearing the truth of Jesus Christ. So what is your security? What's propping up your health, your safety? your future, your eternity. A little wax around a rolled stone. As the story continues, they have sealed the stone. They have posted guards. And then, after the Sabbath, at dawn, 28, on the first day of the week... We meet the Marys all over again. We've seen the Marys at the cross. We've seen the Marys at the death of Jesus Christ. We've seen the Marys at the tomb. As Joseph of Arimathea was, was taking the body and lying it in the tomb and putting the stone across the opening, there it says in the text, the Marys sat facing the tomb. all their dreams, all their hopes. Everything that they were living for was inside that tomb. But they decided to come back and take another look. Because the Marys are those kind of people who make a decision not to abandon Jesus even though it looks like he has abandoned them. I doubt there's a person in this room this morning who doesn't know that feeling. Once at least. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Do you not see my situation? Do you not know how desperate I am? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you disappeared? You know... They're the ones who showed up. And you wonder to yourself, where were all these crowds who were following Jesus around entertained by his miracles? Where, where were all the people he healed? Why, why didn't they show up that day? Where were all those followers? Where in the world were his disciples? There's a couple of Mary's to have another look. I, I think what yells at us from this initial moment is that to the patient who endure expectantly with perseverance in the face of persecution and disappointment, faith will become sight. Wait. Hang in there. God has not abandoned you. And I think what's really exciting about this text is the the word look or see is is lifted out of the text five or six times. Verse 1, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 10, verse 17. Look or see. It lapes out at us. Hang out with Jesus through thick and thin, and you will be rewarded. As a bit of a side note here, but I think significantly important, it was after the Sabbath that this happened the first day of the week so we have preparation day friday we have the sabbath saturday now we have monday or, or sunday a common day then a, a normal weekday then you understand like our monday like our tuesday like our wednesday it's that day not a holy day that god purposes for his son to be raised from the dead. A secular day. A normal weekday. I'm convinced on purpose. You see, Sabbatarianism is a bad business and a distraction to the very point. And particularly exaggerated in our own city here in Oshawa. Paul couldn't be any clearer. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Nothing, none of these things, no religious rituals, Bring us to God. Only Christ does. Christ is to be the focus. Nothing else. The point of all of this is Jesus. The point of this is Jesus every day of the week, all day long. That's the message here. Jesus rose on the day after Sabbath, the first day of the week. There was an earthquake says the angel's costuming looked like lightning. These are all messages of the, the, the could this be the, the start of the birth pangs, the start of the labor pangs of the, of the beginning of the end? Yes, it is. The last days. And then it says in the text that the angel rolled the stone away, not so Jesus could escape. He was already gone. He was so that The Marys could take a look in the tomb and see that he was not there. See, I know you're looking for Christ. Look, he's not here. He has risen. No wax seal can keep the Lord of glory in a tomb. No rolled stone that humans can roll can keep the Lord of glory in a tomb. No guards. ...can keep the Lord of glory in a tomb. I think it's rather interesting that you see here in the, in the guards. It says that they shook, verse 4, and they became like dead men. They're standing at the tomb and they become like dead men. There's kind of a reversal here. That they become like the dead man. In fact, they were supposed to be guarding a dead man. He's risen from the grave. And there's another play on words here. That In verse 2 it says there was a violent earthquake. But in verse 4 it really says here this man shook it. There was a manquake. That's the exact word that's used. It's the same thing. There was an earthquake that took place. And there was a manquake that took place. The guards that were trying to prevent the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Become like dead men. And so... The angel... Says to the Marys, now look, the manquake is here, but don't you be afraid too. Don't you be afraid too, because I know. And he says, the man who has been crucified has been raised, just as he said. Divine, scriptural blueprint being followed to the T. So beloved, let the sight of God's word be enough for you. What God says he will deliver on. And so the angel says to them, go and tell. It's urgent. The message of Jesus Christ. When you find out something about Christ, quickly, go tell. It's urgent. Uh, make sure that you understand that this is, this is a, uh, that we don't hide discoveries about Jesus. And by the way, the first to be told are those who should believe. Go to them first. Go to his disciples. Go to those with imperfect faith first. And then the lost. And so as they're on their way with this urgent message about Jesus being raised from the grave, he's no longer in the tomb, they encounter a man in the garden who says to them, hi. I'm serious, that's what he said. You're saying, no, he didn't. Come on, he was, greetings, my beloved. (laughs) No, that's not what he said. Jesus said, Hi. A common greeting. Hello. Rejoice. Can you imagine? To have been in that moment? Sure you can. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what he did for you one day. He said, hi. Rejoice. Receive me. I'll come and live in you. I'll be your savior. Once you have settled a resurrected Jesus, everything else from there on is a joy baseline. If I have Christ, I have it all. I start every day from the baseline of joy. Every morning it's wake up high. It's a greeting of the Lord. Good morning, Lord. I have him. He has me. That's the message here. Oh, and you know what? Just when things were really getting happy and exciting, it says here, they hurried away the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. How, how can you be afraid yet filled with joy? Well, any guy here who's married knows how you can do that. <laughs> but, but, you know, so, the, so they're, they're on their way... They're on their way to, to meet the disciples, and, and, and everything's looking up. And then, oh, we're back to the senior religious leaders. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan... They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. That's their last kick at the can? That's their brilliant new con? To come up with the air traffic controller sleep idea? That's, what that's their plan? Now think about it. If the guards were asleep, how would they know that the disciples came to the tomb and stole the body of Jesus away? You understand? Sin makes you stupid. And, and that's what happens here. You, you, you have this ridiculous, last gasp effort hanging on lies... Hanging their lives, their system, their religious beliefs on lies that they knew were lies. To me, that's the ultimate tragedy, really. And I think that's what happens in the lives of the people you encounter day by day. I think they have a sense that what they're holding on to is a lie. But they're too proud They're too proud to give their lives to Jesus Christ. You might be be in that position here this morning. You, You know what you're hanging your life on is of your own construction. And you know that it has no power to sustain you. Why don't you give it up? Then, in Galilee, and our tour this morning comes to a close. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, the Christian journey is learning to doubt your doubts. Ordinary faith can become extraordinary faith as Jesus continues to grow your life. And to build mission from the platform of a living hope, a resurrected Jesus Christ, a living Christ, a living hope. And by the way, this was not something that just happened and oh, what an an interesting solution, what an interesting story. This was prophesied by Isaiah as well. In Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says this. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And following the prophecy of resurrection comes the prophecy of Isaiah 54, 2, 3, following right on its heels. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Mission ...follows resurrection. It was prophesied. In fact, mission proves or legitimizes resurrection. That we as a church continue the mission of Jesus Christ... ...is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he's alive. The prophet Isaiah was granted the window into the blueprint of God for the church. It was always, always, always about putting the grace of God on display... Always, This whole plan of salvation, which was planned before the foundation of time, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, was the plan of God to display His character grace to the world. And Jesus stands before His disciples then, and He stands before you this morning and says, All authority has been given to me, Jesus, in heaven and on earth now, Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." It's a massive project. With the promise of an awesome and immense presence, all the power, the purpose and presence of God undergirds the mission of Jesus Christ, planned before the foundation of the world. So, again, we gather at the tomb, and Jesus says, tell people that living hope is available to them, to those who decide at the tomb to follow Jesus. Beloved, do you know what happened in that day? The tomb devoured death and no longer the dead in Christ. That's an amazing thing. At the tomb of Jesus, just as it is at the cross of Jesus, it's a place of decision. What's yours? Faith in Christ, the risen Savior? or faith in your own human-engineered systems, your melted wax around a stone in a Palestine tomb. Our Father, we simply ask you, the saving God, to bring to yourself those lives that will respond in faith to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This day in all the nations, may your glory be proclaimed, may your grace be known, and may your saving work be experienced. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's bow our heads together for prayer, shall we? Just as it was in the tomb 2,000 years ago, this really is decision time, an important decision time. There's an urgency, the same urgency that existed when the angels said to the Marys, go and tell quickly. I don't know where your heart is at this morning, but, but perhaps you are among those who've been propping up your own life, your own securities relying on your own human-engineered strength. Perhaps you've been hurt in the past by people or hurt by church or hurt by religion or hurt by somebody. You wondered where God was. Just like the Marys who sat looking at the tomb. Has God left us? Is he gone for good? But now to those who patiently endure and have faith in God, faith will one day be sight you will be rewarded so could i encourage you to take another look at jesus he will never disappoint you focus on him if he's speaking to you to the heart this morning and inviting you to come to him then don't resist stop fighting this thing stop trying to patch it over it's a mismatch give way to the lord I'm going to close in prayer right now, and if you would like me to pray for you because you're in some sort of wrestling match with God and you'd just like to surrender and finally give up, say, Lord, here, have my life. I want to give it to you. I don't know all the details, but, but if you want me, I, I want to have you take my life. If that's uh, what's happening in your heart this morning, why don't you slip up your hand wherever you are. I'm not going to single you out. I'm going to pray for you, though. God knows what's going on in your heart. Yeah, thank you. Someone else? Someone, yes. Anywhere else? Yeah, okay, Yep. Someone, please, anywhere else. Just pray for me, Pastor. Jesus is drawing me to himself. Yeah, thank you. Right there. Okay, yes. Anyone else before I pray? Okay, all right. I see you. going to, uh, yeah, right there. Right after this service, our pastor's going to be right down here at the front. And if God is doing business with your life this morning, you come down and talk to us, would you please? Let's make sure this transaction between you and God takes place. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for your saving work among us. You are a powerful God to save. Come awake. Come awake. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's a living hope. And he comes to live inside of our our own lives. Lord, I pray for those who raised their hands this morning. Father, uh, I'm just believing you're drawing people to yourself. If anyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in his heart or her heart that God has raised him from the dead, they will be saved. So Father, I believe that's happening in this room this morning. People are confessing you as Lord and Savior of their lives, starting the journey right today, right now. So Father, we praise you and thank you and ask that you would seal commitments that are made in this place. Those who love you, we rejoice. We just want to thank you, and it's been a great time to worship you, Father, all over again, thanking you for your grace for us, and thanking you that you still pour out your grace upon lost people. You are a wonderful and amazing God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray.